All right, who's ready for some calamari? It's time to talk Squid Game. Yes, that's right. We are back, folks. This is the Insatiable Content Podcast, episode number 10, and I'm your host, Vincent Rossmeyer. We had talked about doing this uh, episode a while ago, but then there was a delay in getting it out because I was out in scenic San Diego doing my best Ron Burgundy impression, running a marathon, which led me to being behind and being able to talk about this episode. So just on a side note, uh, San Diego, it, it, every time I'm there, I wonder why I don't live there full time. I mean, yes, it is one of the few Republican cities in all of California, but the weather is always perfect. There's amazing food and breweries. It's on the water, but near mountains. I mean, it re- every time I'm there, it really makes me question what I'm doing with my life because it just seems so idyllic. Um, but I digress. As I mentioned at the top, today's topic is Netflix's much-discussed, insanely popular show, Squid Game. For those of you have, who have somehow missed this phenomenon of what this show is, it came out about a month ago, month and a half ago on Netflix, and it's a nine-episode series from South Korea, and it has become, if you trust those folks running Netflix, the most popular show ever on the platform, which is saying something when you remember last year's Tiger King mania. But this show has a lot more going for it than Tiger King, but even so, I'm a bit surprised this is the show of all shows for Netflix, considering the content. So I'm really excited to discuss this first season, and yes, I have heard that there will be a second one. So to join me on this explorations of the failings of capitalism and to talk all about how rich people are utter bloodthirsty monsters is none other than my old high school friend who also worked on the high school paper with me all the way from the great capital of our country, Patrick Childress. Welcome, Patrick. How are you? Hi, Vincent. Thank you for the invite. Very happy to be here. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to do this. Um, So yeah, let's get into it. All right. Now, Pat, you encouraged me to watch this show uh, in part so we could discuss it. Not that I really needed any prompting, given given how popular it was, Um, but I'm really excited to have you here to talk about it. So let's jump into this, because I have to say, out of anything I've reviewed so far on this pod, this is the piece of content I'm most conflicted about, and I really am not completely sure how I feel about it, even after finishing it two weeks ago. Um, So let's jump into the five things um, about this show. And the first thing I'm not sure about how I feel about is, is this show good? (laughs) So, okay, I know I'm not generally one to have uncertain reactions to anything, um, as I really am either a person who generally loves something and extols it and says it's one of the greatest things ever, or I absolutely should on it. But even after having thought about this show since I finished it, I'm not sure if I like it or not. The basic premise, for those of you who don't know, is that a rich, shadowy cabal has created a series of games in which they offer poor and uh, those who are poor and down on their luck uh, people who are living in Seoul the chance to win tremendous amounts of money by competing in a series of six children's games that have been altered to be as homicidal and violent as possible. The winner gets all the money. Now, there are a lot of twists and turns in the series, and the actual games wrap up in the eighth episode before there's a big reveal, which I won't give away here uh, in episode nine, but overall, the show is really trying hard to be an addicting fever dream about the way the rich exploit the poor, and for me, at least, I'm not sure it succeeded. I watched the entire thing, of course, because I can't start something without finishing it, but I couldn't binge the show. I didn't find it compelling like I do, for instance, when I'm watching something like Deadwood or the Sopranos for the hundredth time where I can just watch episode after episode. And honestly, Pat, I had to take breaks after watching episode because it was just so violent and bleak in its outlook. Um, But that being said, it was also one of the most original things I've seen in a while. So I'm left not really knowing how I felt about it 
um, and also believing everyone while also thinking everyone I know should watch it. The, the thing that I remember that left me feeling this most similar to the way I felt after this was the horror movie Midsummer, which I couldn't get out of my mind for weeks, but I wouldn't say I enjoyed watching per se. So Pat, what do you think? Am I off here? Like, how, how did you respond to this show? Thanks, Vince. No, I, I had a relatively similar reaction. Um, I, I think uh, in general terms, I probably like, it sounds like I like the show a bit more than, than you may have. Um, but I agree. Uh, the show has flaws and some of those are major flaws. So the first is the, the plot holes and some of them are pretty huge. And uh, also, you know, as you mentioned, this is a show that tries at least to explore some of the deeper themes about capitalism and modern society. Uh, and I think those explorations largely fail. Uh, but I do think this, that this was the most creative, unique, and certainly memorable television that I've watched in a long time. Yeah. And so I, I'd say in, in summary, this is a show kind of with a lot of high highs and it has some low lows as well. But for me, you know, I'll take that trade off uh, every time. And I think personally that the highest high was the games themselves. Um, so there were uh, six games in total. And uh, I, I guess just for a minute, focusing on the first game, uh, and this was the, the uh, a game that everyone will be familiar with. It was Red Light, Green Light. And this particular game of Red Light, Green Light involved about 400 contestants. And the rules were largely unchanged from the standard kids game that we all know that there were a couple of very critical differences. So <laughs> to say the least, calling out red light, green light. <laughs> so rather than a, a person calling out red light, green light, there was a 20 foot tall robot doll with very sensitive laser vision. And if that giant doll caught someone moving on a red light, high caliber rifles would appear through the sides of the arena and eliminate that player for good. And I'd say probably about 200 plus contestants died in that first game. And I think about just about every one of those deaths was actually shown on camera. Yeah. I mean, it was bloody, it was crazy. And I don't want to sound like a psychopath here, but it was thrilling to watch. Um, and then, you know, honestly, before I watched that first game, that first red light, green light game, I was thinking about giving up on the show. Uh, I didn't love most of the rest of the first episode. Um, I thought it was a little bit slow. I agree. Um, Very slow. Yep. But after that first game, it, it was just so amazing to watch that I was all in for the rest of the series. I mean, it was just too wild not to keep watching at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a what the fuck is happening moment. Like you will seldom experience in any form of TV or media and where you're just like, oh, they're oh, they're really going for it. You know what I mean? Like they're not pulling any punches here. They're just going to go. Um, so, I, yeah, I think I had that same experience, but it was also like that much death I also sort of recoil from. So it wasn't something where I was like, I definitely want to keep going, but I'm going to have to temper how much I imbibe of this on a nightly basis. Yeah, and the other thing that you might remember, sort of the, the last third of that red light, green light game that appears on camera uh, the soundtrack is this strange, like smooth jazz music that starts playing. <laughs> uh, it, it's really bizarre and kind of unnerving. But again, it, it's just one of the crazy aspects of the show. 
uh, that, that I think makes it really interesting to watch. Yeah. Agreed. The music actually plays a pretty big role in this show overall, I'd say. I think that's really smart on your part to pick up on. So Yeah, so the, the games were what I really liked the, the most, but um, like I mentioned, there, there are definitely some uh, weaker aspects to the show, too. Uh, in, in the first, it's parts of the plot I, I really struggled with. Uh, there, there are some really foundational aspects of the plot that I thought just didn't quite make sense. So um, one of the rules of the game is that the entire competition will end if the majority of the contestants vote to end it. And um, that ultimately doesn't happen. And the notion that this group of people would knowingly subject themselves to what is you know, almost certain death for some remote chance to win a cash prize, um, I, I just didn't think was believable. And, you know, I, I know they tried to address this flaw by, um, by the series or the sequence in the first episode where they're showing how the organizers of the game try to screen all the contestants to make sure they're all degenerate gamblers who will actually participate in a game like this. Right. Um, well, I, I just wasn't uh, totally buying it. And that, that's a pretty core premise of the show. So, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the plot holes were pretty tough for me. Yeah, and it's, yeah, so it, I guess to sum up, I mean, at a high level, you know, if uh, is Squid Game a beautifully crafted, crafted piece of art? Uh, no, it's not. Um, does it even make sense all the time? <laughs> not really. Um, but you know, is it one of the most creative and unique series I've ever seen? You know, absolutely, it is. So just for that reason alone, I, I'd recommend people watch it. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And do you think you wa- you would watch the second season? I'm not sure, really sure where they take it from here, um, but would you be up for watching that? Yeah, absolutely, I would. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's the thing. Despite my hesitations, I feel the same way. I will. I would definitely watch it. Um, that's interesting because I think it sort of gets us into the second thing I wanted to talk about, which is this larger question that I broached at the beginning, which is, is the show actually deep? Now, it's clearly taking a, it's clearly a direct take on late stage capitalism. And I mean, it's not subtle in the way it really like sort of probes the idea that the rich exert their power un, you know, unbreakingly over the poor. But I'd also say it has a pretty bleak view of humanity in general that borders to me, at least on the nihilistic, given that like the central character, even the central character who we're ostensibly pulling for, commits some atrocious acts and betrayals during the series that make us feel that pretty much no one in the world has like a core altruistic or, or redeeming value. And so to me, the show, I think, is certainly trying to make a deep social commentary on what unfettered wealth can do, as we literally see the rich people in the show watching the poor and desperate kill one another for sport. And there really isn't a character in the show that has any like that you can say is purely 100% good, except maybe the main character's daughter, but we barely see her at all. Um, And I'm not sure, I I, I guess I walked away being like, is that that type of social commentary really all that salient at this point? We we get it in so many other ways. uh, And that is like sort of a banal idea. Um, And so does it really make worth watching all this like unimaginable depravity like somehow more palatable because there's a deeper social message um or am i just completely overthinking this pat do you think that it's like not that deep and wasn't even trying to be that deep yeah well i I think as you framed it up it's sort of two separate questions so the first one is 
is the show trying to be deep? And then the second question is, you know, if it is trying to be deep, does it succeed in doing so? Uh, and I think, as you said, the, the answer to the first question is definitely yes. You know, the, the show is not at all subtle and taking shots at capitalism, its excesses and, and flaws. But I, I think in, in many cases, it, tr- it develops these themes in very clunky ways. Yep. And uh, I, I think the best example of this is the way it portrays the VIPs. Um, this is the group of mostly American, um, I think anyway, uh, kind of uh, fat cats who fly in, in to the remote island to watch the last couple of the Squid Games in person. Um, I, I thought that whole uh, segment was way over the top. They don't even speak like normal people. I mean, it's, it was it was cringeworthy. I thought like watching them talk, where you're just like, oh my god, are these like, are these like people trying to do an American accent? Because this is, but it was it seemed like they actually had Americans doing it, but they were so exaggerated in their mannerisms and their voices. Yeah, I agree. The, the, the acting by the VIPs was just <laughs> outright terrible. And yeah, so that was, I, I guess, another, we sort of had a, had a somewhat different experience because I watched the series with the voices dubbed over. In fact, I, I know you watched it with uh, subtitles. Yep. Um, I guess that was another problem I had with the show. Just um, the uh, the voiceovers for the Korean characters, um, yeah, whoever was acting them, yeah, they, it it was kind of a mess. Some of the characters were were particularly bad. Um, so, like for instance, the older uh, lady playing the game, her voice was just so irritating that at points <laughs> it was time to watch, hard to watch. I mean, I, I know that was kind of the point, but yeah, I, I found uh, her voice particularly grating. Yeah, that makes um, sense. I think the second season does come out. I'll probably try to watch it um, with subtitles rather than uh, voiceovers. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that was the way to go. I have not had a good experience with voiceovers with Netflix in general. Cool. So I think neither of us is feeling like this is, you know, the greatest, you know, Marxist takedown ever of... Um, capitalism we've seen on screen but it is it it's more than a light entertainment philosophically uh something it's not like watching reality tv or like below deck or something like that where you leave the show and are like i feel just dirty about myself for having just like wasted my brain cells there's something more to it than that yeah i think that's right i, I just had a thought um when you were talking earlier about uh, the show maybe potentially being nihilistic um, and you know the, the fact that there is not really in the end a, a character that you can root for all the time um, I, I think that's right I, and I think that's maybe part of what the creators were going for I thought it was interesting you know how the games went on you really saw any sort of moral code uh, break down uh, from character to character. So you kind of see them as they go through these games. It, it's becoming more and more obvious to them that it's going to be nearly impossible for them to survive the six games. Mm-hmm. And you can see sort of even the most well-meaning characters at the start are willing to do sort of terrible things by the fourth, fifth, and sixth games. Um, I find I found that pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Uh, by the end of the show, there, there really are no good guys left. Well, there, there is an element of that that's believable to me, because if you're in that far, it's like 
the only way you can justify having done the more minor bad things that you've done up to that point is by going even further and being like, well, I have to do whatever I can to win the money. Otherwise, like, what was this all for, you know? One thing that I unequivocally did like was the costume design and sets. This is like, we, we sort of mentioned this earlier, but this is unlike anything else you've seen on TV. I mean, the set and costume designs were so elaborate, so imaginative. And again, that uh, to your point earlier, that's sort of what makes this one of the most unique things you've uh, like I've seen in years. Um, I, I feel like the costumes were really well thought out. Um, I didn't see as many at Halloween as I thought I was going to, but like the mask that uh, so many of the guards that who are participating in this game um, have to wear, or even just the costumes that the, you know, the prison-like costumes that the players wear, I think were really well thought out. And then there's that, there's this one uh, really incredible set that they're walking through with all these steps that are just, you know, it's like almost like seeing like an MC Escher sketch brought to life, which was really cool to see on screen. So unequivocally, I can say, you know, watch this show just for the spectacle of it, if nothing else. Yeah, and, and I did see one uh, Squid Game set of Squid Game costumes on Halloween, and I got really excited and I ran over and congratulate, congratulated them on doing a great job. Um, then I thought about it a bit more, and it was a family. So it, it was uh, two, adults, <laughs> two really young kids. I mean, they were pro- the kids were probably like six and eight. Um, and yeah, they were, they were fully decked out, decked out in uh, Squid Game gear. So. I hope you re- I, well. I hope you reported them to social services because we can't have those type of people out here on these streets. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, maybe I should have, but I actually went the other way. Like I said, I was like, "This is awesome. You guys are the greatest <laughs> parents ever." So, um, but anyway, that just goes to show you how much I like the show. That was my initial reaction. Um, um, but uh, on the point of the sets and the costumes, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, they're they're unique and they're inventive. Uh, and I think it's one of the things, if not the main thing, that makes the show so memorable. I mean, the um, going back to the games, which again were my favorite part of the whole show, the the arenas where these games played out were uh, really incredible. So for each of the games, you know, they were uh, decorated differently, uh, and they were just really elaborately designed. They almost looked like little human dollhouses, and then the, you had the contestants that inside playing out these games, like they're real life action figures. Um, and just the, the creativity was just off the charts. Um, and I think it was really a highlight of the show. I couldn't agree more. Now, another area that I thought the creativity was very high on, but which I liked a lot less, but this is just like personal preference was, and this will be the first thing I unequivocally didn't like was the violence. And, you know, I think, there's no way to talk about this show without talking about just how violent and bloody it is. It's really at the center of this. Um, you know, I am generally the type of person who thinks America culture, American like media and culture has things all screwed up that like, I'm the type of person whose kids are, were, you know, heard me saying curse words when they were four and were the ones who were, you know, I give no fucks about language. So then they were giving no fucks about language at daycare. Um, and I, I think I've improved on that as a parent, but it's it's still a work in progress. Um, 
but in the content I consume, I think where I end up, I think the U.S. is also like way too prudish about sex and our media should be way more sex positive and show the full range of sexual experience people have from good to bad, you know, much more like you see in European content. But what I really react strongly to and think we are way too permissive of is violence in like our media. Um, like I remember watching Bad Boys uh, with some friends in college and just pausing for a second to be astonished at how many people had died in that and how if that was at all based in reality, you know, it's a it's a massacre, uh, um, something that, you know, would be just horrendous to actually experience. And there's so often in our media, there's like such little repercussions on the trauma that that type of violence can inflict. Um and I, I, I know Squid Game is like ultimately an entertainment. And so I'm probably overreading into some of this. At the same time, you know, like when you watch something like a Quentin Tarantino movie, right? And he's dressed, directed some of the best films of the past 30 years. But even in his better films, like Inglorious Bastards, the violence is so extreme. It's hard for me to watch at points. And this idea that violence can, it can or always will be cathartic is one I really reject. And so like, I've like, I, this reminded me a lot of Tarantino in which like, there are some things like Inglourious Bastards or Pulp Fiction that I respond positive, more positively to. But then there are movies that he's done like Hateful Eight, which I just think are awful. And just violence, it's a worldview where violence is like a necessary evil and there's just violence for violence sakes. And so that brings me back to Squid Game and this that I think as one of the most violent shows I've seen in years, I, it was hard for me to not feel at some point the violence was there just to shock the audience rather than to make a resounding point and it didn't have the levity of something like John Wick where there's like a, a knowing a knowingness that the audience can like wink along with what's going on so how did you respond to all the violence in this Pat? Yeah so I, I agree with a lot of that it, it was definitely violence for violence sake much of the time and yeah I, I agree certainly the intent was to shock the audience um, you know but that was kind of the point and and it worked True. and um so just to give an example you know in the the second game uh the one that um involved the the sugar disc candies uh it was a game i wasn't familiar with but um but at any rate when a player was eliminated in that game you know the the writers had the option of how to eliminate them. They could have just led the players out of the arena and then killed them off screen. I mean, that would have accomplished the uh, the purpose and kept the plot moving. Um, or they could have had uh, the players be eliminated with sort of classy James Bond style pistols, um, but they didn't do that. Instead, they chose to eliminate them with enormous dirty Harry style revolvers. <laughs> and it was a loud, bloody mess. And, you know, the scene was absurd and the violence was unnecessary, um, but it was shocking and enthralling. And like I said earlier, you know, you know it was thrilling to watch. Um, and I hesitate here because I'm really trying hard not to come off as a psychopath, but, you know, I'm just being honest. Like, uh, when something that's shocking comes on the screen, I mean, it, it causes you to to react to it. And it's uh, it's exciting to see. Well, and I think part of it maybe then is there's a subtle element of like criticizing the audience for finding such thrills in that. Because like, yeah, you're not a psychopath like that. The show is doing this deliberately and it's hard not to respond that way. Like and so then, you know, 
I always felt this way watching a lot of Kubrick movies that like there's an element of voyeurism there that is really like being criticized where it's like if you're getting this much enjoyment out of it, what does that say about you? You know, so I don't know, maybe that back to our earlier point about whether there are deeper themes here, that is something to consider. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting point. And for me, I, I think one of the reasons why I, I didn't find the violence off-putting is because it, it was done in in a really sort of fantastical context. Uh, and, and for me, that made the violence much easier to swallow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of a, a broader point I wanted to touch on. And that's the distinction between fantasy violence and realistic violence. So I think Squid Game is, is squarely the former. I, I think uh, it's to show that's outrageous and fantastical on just about every level. Uh, and for me, that sort of fantasy violence, uh, I'm a lot less worried about any sort of negative social impacts uh, that might come from that, um, those type of depictions of kind of outlandish on-screen violence. Um, now, you mentioned earlier uh, Tarantino. I think you can see the distinction I want to draw uh, within Tarantino's work. So if, if you compare the violence in Reservoir Dogs to the violence in Django, for instance, many more people die in Django than in Reservoir Dogs. But honestly, you know, I, I'd be much more concerned with the societal impact of the type of realistic violence that you see in Reservoir Dogs. Um, and, you know, Honestly, for me, that was uh, quite a bit more disturbing than the type of sort of more fantastical violence uh, that showed up in uh, movies like Django and uh, shows up in shows like Squid Game. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. When we watched Reservoir Dogs, you know, the the violence is just so much more intimate and raw. Um, You know, I, I really think that's the type of content that could potentially inspire real world violence. I mean, I, I'm not saying it, it does or it doesn't. I, I really, I'm sure there are many studies out there that talk about this and have examined this closely. Um, I, I didn't bother to research any of those studies before this podcast. <laughs> no, we're not a research-based podcast, so that's fine. I, we, we're just all about okay, hot takes with unfounded opinions. Yeah. Perfect. It sounds like I've come to the right place. Then. <laughs> um, but no, so I, I, I don't know. I think it's that more sort of realistic violence that might potentially cause it cause a problem. Um, and it, I also think of the new um, the new Joker movie. Sort of, yeah. um, I, I put that um, in that same group. Um, but again, I just don't see something like Squid Game uh, having that kind of impact on folks. So um, I, I would be shocked to see any sort of rash of uh, disaffected youth running out and buying red jumpsuits and, and machine guns anytime soon. I, I, and I think that's fair. I think for me, it's just always astonishing how much more willing we are to accept violence than we are like a few dirty words or sex in something. Um, but yeah, I, I think you make really valid points there. And I'm glad you, I think that distinction between fantastical and realistic violence is one that's like good to just keep in mind in general with any sort of media. Um, so that brings us to our final thing. Is there anything else that you like liked or didn't like about the show that you wanted to bring up that you don't think we've addressed? And uh, to your earlier thing about the family and the Halloween costume, I, I can only assume that you watched this with your young children and that they loved it as much as you did. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yes. But I didn't really have uh, any other 
specific points to raise, but I did prepare a short set of questions for you, Vince, if you're game to oh, answer I'm them. Oh, I'm 100% game. This should be fun. Keep me on my toes. Okay, so as I mentioned before, my favorite part of the series was the games themselves. And there were six games in total. So the first was Red Light, Green Light, uh, which I talked about a bit. The second was this honey candy game. The third was Marbles. The fourth was Tug of War. The fifth was this game involving a glass bridge. And then uh, the sixth game was the Squid Game itself. Uh, So Vince, of those six games, what was your favorite game and why? I think my favorite was probably Marbles. Um, I felt the glass bridge was so arbitrary. Like there was no, like just by being able to go last, that was your best chance of winning. Um, Marbles, I thought there was a lot of um, strategy behind it. Um, Although I did find it really funny that you could basically play marbles in any way that you wanted to. Um, But at least then there was some skill there and your ability to convince your opponent to do whatever you wanted to do would at least lead to um, more of a, uh, (laughs) I guess, an outcome that was based on merit rather than just the whims of fate. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I had no idea you could play marbles that many different ways. Me either. Yeah. That was all new to me. But yeah, my favorite was actually the tug of war game. Interesting. Um, I thought they adapted it in a really creative way. Um, and then I just thought throughout that scene, there was so much tension. Um, I don't know. That, I like that one a lot. Yeah. It, that I thought that was, I thought that was one of the better episodes and really fun to watch. Um, and it was cool the way they didn't just make it pure strength um, uh, leading to the winner. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, second question. So which of the six Squid Games would you personally be best at and why? Well, I mean, you've known me long enough to know that people often compare my physique to that of The Rock just because of my huge bulging muscles. So with that, I would say tug of war. Um, I think I would be great at it. No, I I would honestly, I would probably give the same answer, marbles, uh, because I think I could... You know, I, especially as a parent, I've learned to be very, very manipulative uh, to try to get other people to do what I want. Um, and marbles would play well into that. What about you? Yeah, no, that's, that, that's a good point. Um, yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. Um, is someone who gets similar comments on their physique? Um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say tug of war either. I was thinking for me, it'd probably be red light, green light. Yeah. Um, because I, I was looking back, I actually rewatched uh, that part of the episode. Um, yeah, it's funny. The, uh, the great thing about coming on this podcast is that um, I, I feel like I have a better excuse to, uh, to rewatch TV that I've already watched because, you know, it's not that I'm just sitting watching TV. It's that, you know, I'm preparing for an appearance. Exactly. On my podcast. Yes. It's totally different. Completely. Um, but no, so I rewatched uh, the red light, green light episode, and I sort of saw that there were really two main ways that people uh, died in that game. So the first was losing their balance when they tried to stop too quickly on a red light. Yep. Um, and I think I have better than average balance, so I think that would be helpful <laughs> to give me some advantage here. Um, 
The second way that people tended to die, uh, and this was probably the most common way, was that they started to panic, and you know, and for good reason. Uh, once people started getting shot, you know, so this was the first Squid Game. So uh, once people started dying, uh, you know, hundreds of people started to freak out and they ran toward the exit during a red light, which is a big no-no. And uh, so, yeah, that's the way, that's the second way uh, most people got shot. Um, And I think uh, I generally stay calmer than most people in stressful situations. So again, I think that would give me a, you know, better than average chance of surviving red light, green light. I think, that's my thinking. I think that's smart. And I, I appreciate how much thought you put into your response too. But yeah, you are a very calm person. So I think that would probably be true. <laughs> okay, last question I have about the Squid Games. If you could add a seventh game, a seventh children's game to the mix, what game would that be? You know, my initial response would be tag just because it's such a prevalent one that I played so much growing up. But as I say that, as someone who like is not a speed runner, uh, especially for short distances, like I would have to be very careful and it would have to be a big enough playing field where I could just do my uh, marathon thing where I just outlast them rather than actually outrun them from a speed perspective. But I think tag could be fun, uh, especially because I don't know if you saw the movie tag from a few years ago, but I I have to admit it was more enjoyable than I thought any movie with that dumb of a premise uh, should be. No, I didn't see it, but um, yeah, Vince, I would have to say that If you're going to, to answer, uh, you know, trying to add a marathon to the Squid Games, I, I would have to, you know, stop you there and say that would be an extremely boring addition to, <laughs> to the Squid Game. Fair enough. I think that's exactly Just right. See how this can fit in, uh, in a single episode. What game would you add? So I have a question for you. Uh, did you play the game Sharks and Minnows growing up? I do. I have no recollection of what it was. Is it similar to Marco Polo? Uh, somewhat. So you and on one side of the pool and they have to swim to the other side without being tagged by the shark and if they get to the other side then they win Um, but if they're tagged by the shark in the middle then they lose got it um so i didn't know how common a game that was but we used to play it all the time when we were kids sharks and minnows uh so my idea was to have a sharks and minnows set up uh in the squid games arena with a big pool um but instead of having one of the players be the sharks we could just fill the pool with real sharks. <laughs> that would be very on brand for this show. <laughs> That's funny. I like that idea. Um, I certainly would die from that, but at the same time, um, it would probably make for captivating a captivating watch. Um, well, I appreciate all your questions, Pat. And I, I, I think you set a new bar for any guests that come on the show about the level of preparedness and ready to like turn the questions around on me. So thank you for doing that. Um, before you leave me here, I'm going to go through my little segments that I do at the end of almost every episode, um, where, and the first one here is where I'm going to rant, uh, give a short rant, um, about something that has particularly bothered me. And as I mentioned at the top, I was traveling last week and anytime I travel, like it really brings out my inner Larry David. Um, and I can be a bit of a germaphobe, but when I travel, I am just amazed that people don't, aren't just like chronically sick with the way that they 
just their really poor hygiene habits. Um, I mean, first off with COVID, it still blows my mind how hard it is for people to just wear masks in a right way. Like, you know where breath comes out. It comes out of your nose. So we are all pretty familiar with that as, you know, semi-functional adults. So stop wearing the mask underneath your nose. You understand that you can spread COVID with your with the breath coming in and out of your nose. But then it's also like, I get that people are over the pandemic and I am too, and I, I don't wanna be an asshole or more than an asshole than I normally am, but dear God, people just do not wash their hands. I, am, I don't know if this is just something with men, but like as someone who only uses men's bathrooms, like just the number of people who walk out without washing their hands always blows my mind. Um, I just don't want your shit covered hands everywhere. Um, so is it really that hard to just like stop and wash your hands for 15 seconds? It would just, it would, to me, it would make the world just such a better place. But that is, that is my rant for the week. Um, I, and just one side note, and I know this is a very niche thing, but if you ever visit New Orleans, Pat, please pay attention to the water bottle fill up stations there. It is something my friends and I talk about a lot here. They are the worst designed uh, ones I've ever seen, unlike others that have like an actual drain at the bottom. These just mash into like basically a metal bottom. And then there's just water all over the floor of the airport at all times. And we have a brand new airport and it just is like, this is such a New Orleans thing. So it's like, come on, why do we always have to have something that is second best to anywhere else? It's just, we can do better. And I wish, I wish we did. So those are my rants. Uh, that's that's my rants for the week, and um, I can see you looking at me skeptically. So um, <laughs> I will I will go on to the next thing. Which I, I'm with you on that. Vince. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that uh, you support me, and at least some. Yeah, of I really that thought stuff. I was missing travel regularly, but you're making me think twice about it. Yeah, I mean, people are just people are gross. Airport bathrooms uh, are very disgusting. Um, for my trust the process segment this week, um, I'm just happy, so happy to have HBO Sunday Night back in full force. I love the tradition of having really premier elite TV on HBO to watch to end my weekend, especially now that I can't watch the Washington football team because they're just awful, which makes me just not want to watch the NFL in general. Um, and like... You know, this follows in the long tradition of Game of Thrones and The Sopranos, but right now the lineup of Succession, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Insecure ranks up there as one of the best combinations I think HBO has ever assembled on the, its Sunday night time slots. And um, this, these past two episodes of Succession have been amazing. Pat, are you a fan? Do you watch Succession? I do not know. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it definitely has some of the same themes as Squid Game. So I would definitely recommend you getting into it. And then Larry is always Larry on Curb. And this season, I don't think has been as great as uh, previous ones, but it's still fun. And then I've never had as strong of a reaction to any character, I would say, on TV, a more visceral reaction than I do to Molly uh, on Insecure, who is supposedly the main character, Issa's best friend. But she is not a very good friend to her and is very selfish. And I find it so compelling to watch this show just because of how strongly I dislike this one character, which isn't something that happens most of the time when I watch TV. Um, so highly recommend that. Um, and then for my sink into the couch segment, I would just say real quick this week, I know I've mentioned this podcast before, but I can't re recommend the Bumani Jones podcast enough. 
He, he has done recently takes on anti-vaxxers. He's talked about Ben Simmons to just how Atlanta as a city operates. And he provides amazing social and racial commentary um, while couching it within sports. And I just think it's one of the smartest things on uh, smartest things out there right now. So highly recommend listening to it. Pat, have you ever, do you know him? Have you ever listened to him or seen him on ESPN? So yes, I recognize him from ESPN, but I have not listened to the podcast. So I will check it out. Well, highly recommend. I think you will enjoy it. And then Pat, I had to end with this, the poop the bed segment. I, as a fellow Washington football team fan, we have to talk about this, which is just our football team has been destroyed. This by one of the worst people on earth, Daniel Snyder. And he's done this for over two decades. And in other sports, you see owners forced out, but he just continues to be like borderline criminal, if not outright criminal um, in running this organization. And not to mention he's terrible at actually lead. They've been awful for years and years and years. And, you know, this most recent report got John Gruden fired, but it didn't get him fired. And I'm just tired of it. I want him gone. I just want him gone. And I want to be able to root for a football team without feeling conflicted about it. And I just don't think I'll ever get that ever, ever again. Yeah. It seems like Dan Snyder knows he's hated and he almost revels in it. Agreed. So. Yep. Well, maybe I I just don't know what it's going to take to get him out. Well, my thought would be, you know, to bring this all full circles to just have him on the second season of Squid Game, because, you know, he's going out in the first game that that man could uh, can barely tie his shoes seemingly without doing something wrong. So I would hope that that, you know, he he might make a good character there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But honestly, if Dan Snyder appears on the second season of Squid Game, sadly, he's probably going to be one of the VIPs. Yeah, Um, yeah. He would be perfect uh, on Squid Game as the VIP. No, you're. He could he could just show up and play himself. <laughs> for, for all we know, since a lot of the American characters on the show were wearing masks, he may have already been on the show. So, because he definitely acts like those type of people. Um, well, Patrick, I just so appreciate you joining me. I'm glad we finally got to talk about this. It's really unlike anything else you will watch this year. So, I hope this encourages people to watch it because I definitely think people should um, and then they can decide on whether or not my hesitations about it are merited or not but um, really appreciate you again you joining and uh, yeah hope to have you back to discuss something else in the future yeah absolutely thanks so much Vince it's great to be on all right well thank you and that's our that's our take on squid game and tune in next time for the next episode of the insatiable content podcast i don't actually know what we'll be covering next so it'll be a surprise to both you and me Um, but thanks for joining us for today